2: Où on a vécu quelque chose qui nous a pas permis de pouvoir réussir. This is how I
0: am. Merry Christmas.
1: If you think in every day, white me, you will never go anywhere.
0: When I saw how sport is accepted, it was logical to start a sports movement. We wanted to change the way people saw people with a disability.
2: There isn't anything else in the world that can bring you back from the darkest places than
0: sport. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 317. Streaming now on Netflix is Rising Phoenix, a documentary that delves into the history of the Paralympics and the athletes who overcame stories of struggle and hardship to represent their countries on the world's biggest sporting stage visually engrossing and inspirational in its message, Rising Phoenix is a must-watch and one of the best documentaries of the past year. And joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast are the, are the directors of Rising Phoenix, Ian Bonhote and Peter Eddicke. Ian and Peter, I thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank, thank you me. for having us. And yeah, you've I done the it. names brilliantly, well done.
2: <laughs> yeah uh, and thank you also for such a lovely um
0: for such a lovely uh, uh message about rising phoenix oh well thank you uh, especially in regards to the names because it's, it's a such a weakness of my which is weird considering my surname is Perkovich, and it's a weakness for other people so uh, <laughs> i'm glad I, I got that correct um so I, I absolutely admire um the work you guys have done with this documentary um ian you know, when McQueen releases to great acclaim like a couple of years ago or a few years ago now in 2018, I'm sure that both you and Peter just received so many different offers about projects, um, what to do next. I'm sure you will have received a lot of things about the fashion world as well, which is something you probably wouldn't want to dive into it again. But what was it about the story of the Paralympics that really spoke to you both um, that made you want to say, yes, this is what we're going to do for our next project?
1: Um I think we, as you rightly said, so in the, in your question, we wanted to try to avoid being pigeonholed within the fashion world. Mm-hmm. And you know, we kept on saying every time someone would introduce McQueen as a fashion film, we would always say that, no, it's a film about a fashion designer and a creative yeah. mind. Yes. Um, so we, we always try to, we we wouldn't like to be pigeonholed. The documentaries very quickly can, you know, especially if you do, Big names into a, into the cultural uh, sphere. You could end up being doing a lot of music documentaries, fashion documentaries, art documentaries, etc. So, Peter and I have got a very strong passion for sports overall. Sports because we do enjoy sports massively, but as well because sports tend to bring a lot of emotional response in an audience. You mm-hmm. know, we've both of us very big football soccer fan, um, and and you know it's always incredible to see how much laughter um, joy sadness fear anguish you feel for your team during a game or during a season and it's almost like making a movie you know you try to you try to to you know you try to get an audience to go through an emotional journey so when both producer John Batsek and Greg Nugent got in touch with us about um uh, Rising Phoenix, which at the time didn't have the name Rising Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they sent us, obviously, a document detailing a bit the story, and they sent us um, a very good little uh, teaser, and in the teaser, you could already feel within the six, seven minutes of the teaser, the dimension, the emotional dimension of the piece you we they had covered very well the the origin story of sir ludwig goodman and how he escaped like by the skin of his teeth the nazi germany in 1939 and became a refugee in the, in the uk and the uk gave him a chance to 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 you know he was a prominent neurosurgeon and they gave him a chance to actually you know, rebuild his life. And that kind of both talked to us. And I think he talked to a lot of people which come from immigrant background or have actually moved from one country to to the next. And then mm. what is amazing with what he's done is actually give a platform f- for a lot of people, you know, people with disability, which have been left to the wayside of uh, mainstream society. And he gave them a platform to perform as well as to change people's mind. And the sports themselves and what people could achieve in their wheelchair, in the different wheelchair sports or with blades or, or, you know, blind football again, just knocked our socks off, I can say that. You know, you could see that all of these people were top, top athletes, which never had that, the, the visual platform to be celebrated, neither within the mainstream through advertisements or, or. or in movies, you know, we nobody had actually tackled that subject matter. Nobody had portrayed these people to the value they had. And I think that was a challenge we were really keen on taking on. We love misfits. So we felt that the movement
0: as well as the athletes were misfits and we wanted to do them justice. Um, Peter, you know, Ian mentioned before the story of uh, Sir Ludwig Goodman, um, in many ways, the kind of the founder of what we see now as the, kind of like the Paralympics. And, you know, this film that you, you you both made has so many great stories and his story is just one of them. It's it's a kind of a film that you can really foresee becoming like an Oscar-winning kind of big kind of thing, you know, great performances, great story, etc. But it just seems to me that before this documentary, and I have to admit to be part of this ignorance as well, I did not know anything about his story whatsoever. When you hear about a story such as his, do you feel a certain responsibility to be able to share that story story with the world oh, oh, no doubt i mean not just a
2: responsibility but also you know kind of like a passionate desire to, to 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 get it out there i mean you know neither of us knew about it ourselves um and uh and it was just such an extraordinary story and very very soon we we met um his wonderful daughter who's in the film and speaks so movingly yeah. about the family's journey to, from uh, from Nazi Germany to, you know, as refugees to London. Um, and that spoke to us simply because, you know, we're living in a time where kind of r- there's a stigma if you're an immigrant, um, you know, it's, it's, that's very true of the UK, which has always been very tolerant, but at the moment with the whole Brexit thing. So that's, but j- just on that level, it spoke to us. And then the story of how you know, at a time where, um, where people, Jewish people being, and disabled people as well, were being kind of like uh, persecuted, um, kind of killed. I mean, you know, in, in, in Nazi Germany, it was disabled people as well as Jews who were being, who were being um, discriminated against and, 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 uh, and ultimately killed. And, you know, this Gutmann story of saving people who uh, were severely uh, disabled. And the fact that that came out of his own desire to protect persecuted people after what he'd witnessed himself in in Germany, you know, I think, um, you know, we listened to some of those archive, that archive that we we feature in the film, the audio archive, and we were in tears, you know, um, uh, at the research, when we were kind of doing the research for the film. So we felt, you know, we felt, I, I wouldn't, because responsibility sounds too heavy. It was sort of like a, it was like one of the great joys of making this film was to share a story of someone who is a kind of, an, a figure who has in his own ways, he belongs in the pantheon of greats, you know, up there alongside uh, a, a Mandela, um, uh, you know, he, he, he's a, someone who, who who fought for an oppressed people in a way. Um, and... Uh, and then in the call, and it, as he as he began to actually, you know, help to rehabilitate people who had previously paraplegics, etc., who had been left to die, he kind of like discovered the whole notion of using sport, and then through that, this sort of, you know, as his daughter says, this crazy dream to kind of stage an event that might one day stand alongside the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that's the kind of story that you, you can't make up. And but it happened and yet no one knows about it. And you just kind of think, we have to put that on the screen so that people do know about it. Um and that of course is just, I mean, you know, we always looked at him, we always kind of like looked at our our, our our Paralympians almost as sort of like superheroes. Um we could we, you know, they kind of come in, they they, they've overcome their own huge obstacles. They they come into these they, they become elite athletes and they really are elite athletes. And they put on a show that transforms people's attitudes to disability or to to ability. In fact, and um, we kind of like saw Goodman as as like the the granddaddy, um, the inventor almost of these extraordinary Paralympians, our superheroes.
0: Ian Peter just mentioned the word superhero there, and it's a it's a word a term that is brought up almost off the bat in in the documentary um that um that Rising Phoenix and um is really interesting in that I can totally understand that where that angle is coming from and I'm I'm pretty sure it was um uh, during the London Olympics I think that Channel Four were doing promos with that similar kind of uh, thing as well um, but what what what's really interesting about your film is that um. Yes, you talked about the whole superhuman kind of aspect of it, but you don't sacrifice the humanity behind that as well. There are stories. Every great superhero has a story that that kind of inspires them and drives them and motivates them. Trying to achieve that balance in your documentary, how do you go about doing so, Um, especially in regards to these athletes who although present themselves as superhuman, really come from, a lot of them uh, come from the really heartbreaking kind of uh, upbringings and I had to kind of overcome many things to be where I are today.
1: Um, so th- about the, super, uh, the superhero, the Marvel Avengers concept, we actually came up with the... Con- we tend to approach documentary with a sort of drama mind. We yep. like to almost have almost um, a fiction genre in mind when we tackle the documentary. Um, with with, um, with McQueen, we we thought of it, and we ended up settling on a, on a sort of Greek tragedy sort of structure. And for Rising Phoenix, it was the same creative approach we 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 took for, to to start with the project. And um, you mentioned the Channel Four campaign, Superhumans. We we were so impressed by that campaign when it came out in 2012, and uh, at the time I was doing quite a lot of advertising, and they were the they That, that campaign was the campaign which every young director was talking about. It was yeah. the amazing campaign, and throughout the world, actually, he won a lot of awards. So when we came to the project in 2019, it was a bit like, why can can we? can we beat it visually what they had done can we beat the emotional sort of impact that they were having in showing you know all of the para, para athletes with no shame or or no or no you no know, fear or no you know it's it's a little bit about what you're looking at sort of attitude and that was one of the aspects how could we sort of elevates just the sporting element. Advertising does it very well in where you merge almost um, the mythical or the mystical with the actually athlete achievement. So that was an element. And then the other element is one of our first uh, interviewees, Jean-Baptiste Ales, the French athletes, uh, survival of the Burundi Civil War, Rwanda, Burundi, Burundi being northern of Rwanda, he, 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 he literally survived some of the most horrific, you know, events. Left badly scarred, a leg cut out, and many machetes um, scars on his body. Yeah. And when we started interviewing him, he came up. He, he, I remember we were doing the. I was doing the interview in French with him because his English, um, um, is you know we thought we'll, we'll be able to to get more emotion out of doing it in French, and he he actually came up with the concept saying, you know, when we come to a game, it's almost like the Marvel Avengers. We all come together to try to change the world. And mm-hmm. I remember Peter and I exchanging a, a look, thinking like, this is exactly what we're talking about. So we actually ran with the concept. We know for a lot of people, it might be a little bit like, mm, you know, many of our other athletes, they don't want to be considered uh, having extra um. Sort of powers of being superhumans. They f- just want to be. They, they're fighting hard enough to just being comp- considered like equal humans in all measure, because society hasn't made uh, you know any of facilities easy to access for wheelchair users of someone which is blind, deaf, etc. So they just want to be normal and treated normally and having a fair, a fair living uh, level playing field for them to get on with their lives. But as you rightly said, so one thing that struck us when uh, we interviewed BBV or the Italian fencer, she did tell us that, you know, many people you start at zero and then you train all your life and then you get to the top of your game, which is the level 100. Yeah. Many of those Paralympian have started with, you know, potentially two legs, two arms and an accident, a disease or something like this, you know, kind of change. So they were, some of them were already athletes in their own right. And then basically the story take them from zero to minus 100, where they had to relearn everything. They had to, in Baby's case, she um, survived meningitis and was, she's a quadruple amputee. She got both of her legs cut off and then a few months later had to, take, to have a, a, a both arms cut off when the disease um, <clears throat> wouldn't be bitten, basically. And she had to relearn simple things like brushing her teeth with. Um, with uh, she couldn't do it anymore. She had to relearn to walk, etc. So from that stage to go on to become one of the greatest um, 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 fencers of all time, it's 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 a massive journey. And that journey again, you know, as filmmakers, as storytellers, is 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 amazing because the struggle to even get to the stage where you and I can just turn on a light, go cook some dinner, then go to bed. There, a lot of people with disability journey to, you know, get into their house or their flats, get in, in the car, get out of the car, is a much bigger um, struggle. They don't want pity. No one wants pity. They just want just the acknowledgement and just being left to, to do their own thing. Um, but, yeah, those those two concepts of, like, coming from really, really hard-beaten backstories to elevated to being a sort of... N- n- you know, Marvel Avengers coming to save the world. So it's not superhero. It's almost more of a Marvel Avengers where all of them discover one of the powers. And yeah. that's what we did visually as well. We tried to recreate that visually in our movie sequences to, 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 to do justice to that special power that, dis- that, they dis- that they discover.
0: And I have to say, I really do appreciate that. You know, I get a lot of movies sent my way, documentaries, especially, and you know, Peter, what you and Ian de- do with this film in regards to the, the visuals, it's not just plucking someone on a chair in a hotel room and just shooting that. There is a effort put into there. You have locations. You have costume. The interviews themselves tell a story with, uh, above a story, above another story, and the visuals, you know, we talked about the word superhero in a sort of way as well, in a kind of way that there are poses and such, in the film with these athletes, they kind of almost look like Titans or like Greek gods as well. When it comes to that visual component of the story, um, you have your angle in regards to the superhero thing, but getting that on the screen, how do you like to approach it? Do you storyboard at all? Can you storyboard for a documentary like you do for a feature film? Um, do you have uh, art directors or such to help you with that, or is that something that's coming from both you and Ian?
2: Well, it kind of comes from both of us in that we will sit, sit around and we'll discuss... Um, we'll discuss references. Um, we'll discuss also, you know, um, the, we, 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 think about, we don't just sort of think, okay, we're going to have a, um, a beautiful piece of imagery. Now we think who is the, who is the athlete? What is yeah. their story? What is the element that's appropriate for them? Um, how, what is the best way to showcase how they, who they are, how they move? Uh, what they do is a sport, um, so we think about all of those things, and um, and uh, and then it sort of becomes kind of, and we also think about where we where they are. We think about where they're from. So, for example, um, you know, just taking the just taking um, Bebe Vio for a second, yes, um, she's a young Italian fencer. Um, uh, fencing is kind of considered one of the great sort of noble. Arts of of Italy going back to the Renaissance, and so we thought um, we thought wouldn't it be great to kind of like find a, a kind of Renaissance palazzo, um, and then we got so we did a bit of location. We had we had such an amazing team of researchers on, on the film, and we 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 gradually gathered some some references, some location photographs from Rome, of potential suitable places excuse that doorbell um it's a nice and, doorbell, uh, way and and um and then you know uh, i think ian you know you started noticing particularly the frescoes on 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 some of the walls and you know saying god isn't it amazing that all of the cherubs and gods and people that are depicted in those frescoes they're all able-bodied yeah. And uh and, and and so we started really focusing on Palazzi with which would have those kinds of frescoes in them that you know we the contrast with Bebe who is you know has lost all her limbs um to meningitis at, at the age of twelve. So she's you know it's a contrast of her in this setting, and she is extraordinarily beautiful as well, a radiant sort of face, but she you know, she has um She 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 has lost her limbs, and that the contrast between the 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 paintings in the Palazzo and her was something that we thought that would be that would be fantastic. So, you can see a little bit there how all the elements come together. Other, other cases like, for example, Ellie Cole, the swimmer, was much simpler because, you know, we we we'd read how we we understood that either from the pre-interview or from our reading, we understood how not only was she a swimmer but she you know she loved the water because the water is where she felt the you know she felt whole she wasn't sort of like aware of her disability or other people weren't making her aware of her disability and she just loved the water and being in the water and the free sense of freedom that gave her so um we decided to shoot her in an underwater tank and really sort of like try and make it slightly ethereal and capture that sense of freedom and also her natural grace which you know so so with each of the athletes that was the sort of process that we that we went through um and we also thought very carefully about uh the locations in which we shot the interviews and how we shot the interviews um because we like although they are interviews and that's the most classical you know device of any documentary is the sit-down interview we like to almost make our our, our protagonists feel like, um, like like characters in the film, really, um, and uh, and so in a very natural setting that has got some sort of visual appeal to it, and uh, in tight close up and in wide shots, so you see the full setting. So you know we think very carefully about all of those visual elements. I mean. Um, there is just no reason not to consider those things uh, in a documentary. And if you look at the, I mean, you know, we're both looking at a lot of um, a lot of the documentaries that have been presented in for for, for, during award season for um, Oscars and BAFTAs this year. And it's just extraordinary seeing the variety and creativity um, in the documentary field at the moment. It's, it's, it shouldn't be called documentary It should be called nonfiction as a field and it should have, Separate genres um within it because it's no longer just sort of factual journalism-based medium. I mean, maybe it never was, but that's the kind of common perception of it. It's it's an extraordinarily kind of like creative and exciting medium to be working in.
0: And I, I would actually second that in regards to the different genres within the documentary, because as I said, a lot of documentaries do come our way and you know, you can put it under a banner of one thing, but there's so many different styles of filmmaking being employed in different stories to, you know, reflect that as well. So I, I, I'm I more for that. Um, you know, Ian, there's so many fascinating things about this docu- uh, documentary and one of them is the whole chronicle of the situation in Rio in 2016. And, and for me, that really kind of exemplifies kind of like the best and worst attitudes towards the disabled and especially towards the Paralympics as a whole, on one end you still have the struggle, the, distri- the, the discrimination where it just seemed like the Olympic board just was cast in the side of Paralympics that's kind of like this nuisance, this kind of like this tag-along thing that they didn't put any type of resources or money into. But on the other end, even though earlier in the events you know, the seats were empty and such. As soon as words started coming out, people were coming to see the events, were coming to see the athletes. When you were going back and interviewing people involved with that whole process, did you think that even though there was a struggle to get the Paralympics back on track in Rio and into, um, you know, and and to happen at all, considering it could have been cancelled at any moment, and that at the end that they felt there was a victory for them and that they were getting through the people, especially considering that numbers wise, I think this was the Rio was the second most attended uh, uh, Paralympics since maybe uh, Beijing.
1: Um, yes, I mean, actually we we tend to work a, a bit the structure of the film though with this film it was so complicated because. The, you know, so many strand of storylines, so many characters, such a long period to cover, such a strong emotional backstory, uh, origin story. So, but when we came across, and that was actually present in the teaser, we, you know, we we we, I think we can take a lot of credit with Peter, but the producers had already spotted it, and they had done many interviews with them. Um, uh, Sir Philip Craven already at the time and, and he was and they already had themselves spotted the sheer panic that you must face as an organiser as, as someone running a, a, a massive organisation like the, the Paralympic movement and suddenly having a chance that the game that you spent four years, your athlete spent four years training and you spent four years planning is about to not happen how do you deal with that? So that was already there. So we thought, Peter and I, we were always really worried that the film could have too many um, old elements, too many looking back. Where London and Rio were perfect, you know, 2012, 2016, it's almost yesterday. Visually, the type of archive you get, it's it's a very contemporary feel. Mm. And what was, in a way, came out, (laughs) almost the ideal scenario would have been that London was a failure. And then Rio was the success. So you could have built uh, an emotional structure like this, but that wasn't the case. So what we did, we ended up at the end of our first act with the triumph of London, of actually the panic big movement being such an amazing sort of finally recognized, appreciated, in a way Beijing had set up all of the right things, but the government was behind it. Where in London, it's the people, the advertising was there, the the atmosphere was there. The country was there. Everyone was being, still. People talk about it as the greatest games ever. But then people say, "Oh, it's London. It's the most open-minded city. It's a wealthy country. It's the birth of the Paralympic movement through uh, Sir Ludwig Goodman and Stock Mandeville Games in 1948. They happened there at the same time at the London Olympics. So it was a, a bit like coming back to to the place where." Rio it's a, you know it's in Brazil uh, the country being what it is m- always politically economically will have ups and downs etc but can we do it again? can we do it successfully and again and <laughs> it appeared that they were gonna run into trouble and the trouble started appearing and the cracks starting appearing a uh, year before and it became almost for us ideal as a metaphor of what the movement, had to suffer throughout its its history. I think Javi Gonzalez in the film says it, you know, we had one good game, one bad game, one good game, one bad game. You you had Athens and then Sydney, or you had um, Atlanta after um, uh, Barcelona, which was successful. So they constantly had to fight between success and failure. But in a way, the movement is at the image of the athletes and the athletes are like the movement. Mm. One day people are, celebrating them and appreciating them and then the next day when they remove their kits and they have to go to the supermarket or they look for a job within the mainstream society, people close the door on them because society doesn't think they're good enough. Yeah. So that's basically we use those metaphors of our athletes' journeys and the Paralympic movement and its ups and down, constant ups and down journey has the anchor of our film and that became the contemporary story and that's how and um i think peter was like straight away when we when we discovered baby was like it's amazing with baby because in london she wasn't a paralympian yet but she still carried the, the 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 flame and she was really sort of allowing us to follow the journey of the paralympic movement through our eyes of seeing london and being like oh wow am i being amazing, and then coming to to, to Brazil where she was supposed to be celebrated, she was to be successful, and actually everything could have been taken out under uh, uh, her eyes. But again, what was amazing, and we wanted to finish on a high with the film, thankfully, thanks to uh, Kickstarter campaigns, and suddenly the, the people of Rio hearing about the project, the cariocas, the people of Rio finally came, and the audience was amazing, and Brazilian people, if you've ever been to Brazil or you know Brazil, they're extremely passionate about sport. And when they fall in love with something, they go crazy about it. And yep. that's exactly what happened there, where they went completely, completely falling in love with the movement and they've really celebrated liberated And, and the, whole, the whole Brazil ended up being a success because of the people.
0: Well, I have to say that I've completely fallen in love with your movie, Rising Phoenix, and I think a lot of people have as well and it's just such a tremendous work and coming from myself my sister is uh physically and mentally disabled as well uh we as a family have gone through the struggles and she's gone through the struggles as well to see a movie like this to represent um disabled people the way that you do has been very inspiring and uh, just uh, very moving uh for me especially so i just want to thank you both peter and ian uh for your film and also for your time today Thank you very
1: much, touch us very much what you just said, because we really wanted to make it for everyone which is going to be born or which is going to suffer any sorts of disability in the future to show this is not the end. Life carries on and we shouldn't listen to society or some stupid presidents telling us we're not good enough. We just got to raise and go out and get it. And that's what we wanted to do with the film.
0: Amen, <laughs> Peter and Ian. I thank you very much for your time today. Take care. You.
2: Thank you. Thank you.